0: Together and began meeting once a week in prayer in the, the arena, basketball arena area at Auburn University. Begin praying for a move of God on that campus. Week after week after week, it was five or six, just praying and praying. And through a course of events over several weeks and months a meeting was held just recently in that building and over 5,000 students showed up now here's the best part at the end of that service there were many who gave their life to Christ but at the end of the service there was one student that said I want to be baptized tonight. And they they weren't scheduled for that. They they didn't have any plans for that. But outside, there's a small lake. We might call a big pond around here. Before you know it, 200 plus students were baptized that night. And the news media started coming out. And, and I think it really caught attention when the football coach got in the water and started helping with the baptizing of students who had just given their lives to Christ. And now it now it's spreading. And, and the ones who were part of it in the beginning, you know what they were singing? Saying? They were simply praying, God, it's not enough unless you come. We can't, we can't bring revival. We, can, we can't institute it. We can't plan it. We can't do it. God, it's not enough unless you come. And God showed up. And, and I heard yesterday they're getting calls from all over the country, from universities all over the country saying, can you come help us do whatever you did over there? Well, can I tell you, a spark has been lit. And it's going to spread i don't care what anybody says i still believe in a god who's able to do above all that we can ask or think and just because that happened one night it's not stopped students are gathering together and they're praying and, and they're being discipled in the word and and i'm just telling you i'm just if it can happen in auburn it can happen anywhere right come on now come on now right i mean really I mean, but that's what it was. It was the cry of someone who was not willing to quit crying out to God. Believing and knowing that God desires to move. He desires to change lives. He's simply waiting for someone somewhere who's hungry enough to cry out to Him. Last couple songs, that's all I keep hearing in my heart. Are you hungry? Are you really hungry to see me move? Are you you can sing the song, but is there something behind the work, the singing that you're that you're giving up? Is is there a cry there? And I just like to sing that chorus one more time. It's not enough. I want you to picture the ones that you've been praying for. I want you to see the ones that you've been believing God yet a hold lot. And realize God is not enough unless you do it. You've got to come. You've got to come. You've got to move. God, we're desperate. God, we're thirsting for the refreshing of your spirit, Lord God. Pour out the rain of heaven, the wind, the, the refreshing of heaven upon your church, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come.
1: opportunity Charge of a congregation for the permission to do so. I was born and raised in South Africa. When I turned 15, I was, of course, still in school. My mother called me one day and had a chat. My father, unfortunately, was an alcoholic, chronic, chronic, chronic alcoholic, and as a result of that, he never provided oh my mother <coughs> was a cripple <laughs> polio but she got at nine years of age And all I remember of her all the years was walking with calipers. Me. And that day, she said, Roy, we can't go on like this. You will have to leave school and go and work. She had been in touch with a paper mill, it was one of the biggest paper mills in the world at that time. SAPI, South African Pulp and Paper Industries, and they were looking for apprentices, fitters and machinists, and so she'd already made arrangements, and I went to see them, and I was indentured as a fitter and machinist apprentice, three years shy of my 60th special permission to get me out of school and I started doing that trade and in my second year there was a five-year apprenticeship in my second year a man came to the factory to work as a Turner in the machine shop One day, he was a Christian and he made no bones about it. One day, uh, we were standing around a fire in the shop. It was winter, pretty cold. And I was standing there with another group of men and he was there. I just happened to get too close to the fire, caught my overall. did what I normally did. approached me see I had been seeking you know but I didn't know it and he had been seeking me and I didn't know and he said would you like to come on the roof where I go to pray every lunch hour I'd like you to come and talk about, I'd like to talk to you about your soul so I went for some reason, and he talked to me about Jesus and my soul. And I was 17 years of age that, that at that time. He asked, "Would you like to pray?" And I said, "Sir, I've never prayed in my whole life yet. I don't know." And he said to me, I will pray. And you just follow. And he prayed the sinner's prayer, and I prayed it after. And when the the sound blew to end the lunchtime. didn't know that did at the time. He asked me, how did I feel? And I said, I felt good. It was the first lie I did as a Christian. Because I felt nothing. That was, I followed the Lord through the waters of baptism on the 7th of August, 1955. 68 years ago, and I had no idea of the journey that I was about to take, put me into the ministry, and allowed me to work for him, and I just want to thank him today. I want to tell in the glory of brothers and sisters. He will never fail you. He will never fail. He celebrated in April my eighty-fifth birthday. <laughs> and I can testify to that. He never we're doing here today? Who knows? The Bible doesn't come in a suitcase. No. (laughs) He is the author thank you for the opportunity of just sharing my testimony because of all the sermons I've ever preached. My testimony is the best one of us. <laughs> you can't improve on your testimony it's something to cherish and every opportunity you get, tell it, tell it, because it's what Christ has done for you that impresses most people. Yes. You can preach all your life story is what counts, doesn't it? There will be no preaching in heaven. There's only testify
0: major things in that a lot of people think well my testimony is nothing because I. they try and compare it to other people I've seen people try and out testify somebody else you know oh well, my testimony or other people think I don't have anything to say compared to what they just said but your story is your story and there are people out there that won't be moved by anybody else's story but yours. And that's why God gave it to you, for you to share it. And I feel like somebody needed to hear that today. Your story is important, and you must share it. You don't know the one person's life that will be changed by your story. And the second thing I took out of that, There's some maybe here today that you feel like you failed the Lord. And the enemy wants to beat you up over when you've fallen short. But I want to tell you something. He'll never fail you. And his mercies are new every morning. His mercy is new every morning if you came in here today feeling down, feeling like you don't belong, you, you haven't measured up, you haven't, hey, the Bible says all have fallen short of the standard and glory of God. All of us have. I don't care how long you've been serving the Lord, 68 years or 68 minutes, it doesn't matter. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And the Spirit of God will stay there. He'll come after you. He'll stay, and he'll teach you and guide you. And and when you say, Lord, forgive me, he forgives. You don't have to beg or plead. All you have to do is be sincere and genuine, and God forgives Aren't you glad for God's mercy and his grace? Let's just thank God right now for that. Father, we just praise you and thank you for your goodness and your grace, your mercy. Lord, we'd all be lost without it, without you. Thank you that you came seeking us even when we didn't even know To look for you. And Lord if there's anyone here today. Or even watching by way of the internet today or at a later date. And they don't know you. Let them right now say Jesus. Come into my life. Forgive me. I surrender all to you. And God. I know you'll do it. And we praise you for that. We give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I love it when the Holy Spirit just has things he wants to do. Amen? <laughs> praise God. How many of you are blessed by that testimony? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, let me make a couple real quick announcements. You, if you know me, I'm not into announcements, but sometimes they're, you have to do it. And um, uh, let's see if I can read this. I wrote uh, Women of Life will be having a prayer square party. <laughs> pra- prayer square party. And uh, I, I guess they know what that is. I don't know what that is. But anyway, um, uh, I don't know why I say prayer square party. I think of square dancing. <laughs> Many of you aren't even old enough to know what that is. <laughs> but it says uh, where, it says they're going to have a prayer square party uh, October 7th from 1030 to 130. It says you'll be learn, learning how to apply the word of God through prayer to pull down heaven. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, please bring uh, finger food uh, and sign-up sheet is in the lobby out on the table. There's a whole bunch of sign-up sheets out there on the table. There are sign-up sheets for uh, home groups um, that are beginning, and you can go out there and find... Um, uh, the different ones that are going on and and what time they're they're going on or where they're going on. I think there's one on Friday and Saturday and then Sunday. I think there's one during the week for women. Uh, You can go out there and sign up and get that information that's out there. Um, There's just a, there's a whole host of different announcements out there. And so I don't want to take a whole lot of time uh, going through all of those things, but please take a moment to look at those on your way out and sign up for it. I saw people signing up already. And um, uh, the, the, the home groups, the small groups are, are going to be a little bit d- different. They're going to for an eight-week period this time instead so of like 12 weeks. Uh, we want to finish by the Sunday before Thanksgiving um, because um, of the holidays that are coming and we know how crazy those schedules can get. And then also remind you that the last weekend in October, Brother Jason Beard is going to be with us on a Friday night, Saturday night, and twice on Sunday. Okay, so uh, everybody says, is, is it just one day? I said, no, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night at 6 o'clock. And so it will be 7 o'clock on uh, Friday night and uh, probably 6 o'clock on Saturday night. And so um, uh, that week, most of the home groups will not meet because we'll be meeting that whole weekend uh, and expecting great things. So begin praying now and believing God uh, for that opportunity. And um, just I just know God's waiting to meet us. I say God's waiting to meet us. Come on now. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm probably forgetting something else, but... That's that's just the way it is right now. Anyway, uh, so let, I want to get into the teaching this morning, uh, real quick. Um, thank you. Also, you can see for the for giving, um, different ways that we have to give. I'm reading from Colossians chapter two, verse sixteen and seventeen. It says, "Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration." Or a Sabbath day; these are the shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And we're doing a series called "Looking Back to the Future," and it is based upon the these. This one is based upon the fall feast uh, in the Jewish calendar. In fact, um, we just began the brand new year, the Jewish calendar. Uh, began on f- uh, Friday evening uh, around 6, and then finished, um, let's see, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, today, right, at 6. Um, and so uh, the, um, it's just finishing up the new year, and now we're going into the next part, uh, which deals with Yom Kippur. Uh, you've probably heard that used before, and may not know what it is. It means the day of atonement, okay? Um, Let me just refresh your memory real quick about what we're talking about. We just read the scripture that Paul wrote to the church and said um, that these things that were written down about uh, religious festivals and new moons and Sabbaths and all that, he said those were a shadow of things that were to come but are now found in the reality of of Jesus Christ. And so in Leviticus 23, 1 and 2, it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. And just to remind you that the word um, uh, used for feast is the Hebrew word moed, which means an appointment. Uh, in Genesis 1, 14, it says, And then God said, Let there be light in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day and the night, and, and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years. Days and years we understand, but signs and seasons, you know, I would think it would mean like fall winter spring but it's not that the hebrew word for seasons is the same word that's used in Leviticus that we just read and it means an appointment so he says let it be for appointments and then and then the word signs is a hebrew word that is used for a sign a word means a signal okay and so i've used the example uh, last couple of weeks about the Magi. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. Um, the ca- if, on calendars, and, and I know it seems strange that, you know, why are you saying uh, happy new year? Well, on the Jewish calendar, uh, G- there are two different calendars. For example, Muslims, uh, they live with a lunar calendar that is defined by months. Uh, In the Western world, we have a solar calendar, and it is defined by years. The Jews live with a lunar and a solar calendar. One is for civil uh, holidays or dates, and one is for religious dates. And so they have two different ones. So this is the new year of beginning the religious new year, and then the civil new year begins usually in the springtime. So we have to understand that God has two cal- God has a calendar. We have a calendar. God's calendar is different than our calendar, okay? I wish I, I could get a peek at God's calendar. How many of you would like to do that? You know, I mean, I would like to peek at it and go, oh, look, what's Oh, that's about to happen. That's going to happen, you know. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, and it's important to understand that God has his times for doing things, and because in the book of amos chapter 3 uh, verse 3 it says can two walk together unless they be agreed so we have to understand god has a feast time god has a calendar god has specific things that he spelled out for the people for the jews and he said that these these were to be feasts now we in southern uh, louisiana we think of feast we think of food okay we just had an event here thursday friday saturday uh, for the Louisiana district, and they had food, and we had somebody that catered it, and and uh, man, there was food. There was lots of food, and I don't think anybody went home hungry. And um, and we think a feast is that, you know. But that's not what it is in the, in the Old Testament. That's not what the feast was. The feast had to do with a ho- basically a holy day, whereas we get the word holiday. Leviticus 23 and 2, it says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them the feast of the Lord. Notice that the feasts were not for the people. The feasts were to, for, to bring glory to God, to be reminded of God. And he says, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. And the word convocation, the Hebrew word, basically means a dress rehearsal, Okay. So the feasts, we just read it in in the scripture, the feasts were rehearsals for the real events. And that's what Paul was writing to the church. He was saying the feasts and the Sabbaths and the festivals and all those things were, were pictures or a shadow of the things that were to come, which are now the reality that is found in Jesus Christ, Okay. So that's what he's talking about. So, for example, I've, I've told you this before, but I'll use it again. For 1,500 years, the Jews killed a lamb on Passover, and Passover was always on in the month of Nisan, uh, 14, on the 14th day. Why? Because 1,500 years later, exactly to that day, the lamb of God would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And the blood that was shed on the first Passover over the door frames so that the death angel would pass over, that's where we get the word Passover, you know, and is the same blood that was shed when Christ died and those who accept Christ, the blood is applied to our lives and death passes over us. The fall feast, we've talked about them. The feast of trumpets. And I said that will be truly fulfilled. I believe the event of that will be fulfilled with the rapture of the church. We talked about the trump of God and all of that earlier. The day of atonement is, and I want you to see something, the Feast of Trumpets is a time of repentance. If you go back and listen to that message, it's online, you can listen to it or watch it. It's a time of repentance, and then you come to the Feast of Atonement. This is a feast dealing with redemption, okay, and it is fulfilled by the end of the great tribulation period, and then there is the Feast of Tabernacles, which we'll talk about next week. And this is a period of rejoicing. And this will be, be fulfilled with the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ when he literally comes back to earth and sets up and establishes his government. And we noted last week that redemption... L- uh, repentance leads to redemption, and redemption always leads to rejoicing. And that's the program. That's the way that God plans it. You can't bypass repentance and get to rejoicing. You can't bypass re, repentance and get to redemption. It, it works in that manner, okay? So today we're talking about Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. And in Leviticus 23, verse 27 through 32, it says, and the 10th day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. Again, a dress rehearsal for a future event. Um, You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the lord and you shall do no work on that day for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the lord your god notice the atonement was for us to be made right with god that's what he was saying he said for any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people and any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. And then he says, then you shall do no manner of work. It, sh- it will be a statute forever throughout g- generations in all your dwellings. And it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest and you shall afflict your souls. Now, that's a lot of stuff right there concerning this one day. And this is one of the reasons that a lot of people don't read the book of Leviticus because they, get, they go, I'm not under any of that stuff. But you, you, you miss the big picture because God was drawing out for us in the Old Testament his plan that was going to be fulfilled in Christ. And when you could see that God knew ahead of time and required these things only to be fulfilled through Christ, then you realize how great and how big our God really is and how wonderfully He is towards us. So Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, when, when the Jews would be come into right relationship with God again because of their sins. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, it was the only time of the year... When the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple, the innermost chamber of the tabernacle, to make atonement for the sins of the people. The word atonement means covering, okay? It sounds like a fancy word, but it's covering. What, why is it, what does it mean to cover? Because when he would go into the temple and do the things that God required, It covered the sins of the people of Israel for one more year. It just covered them. It's like you throw a blanket over it and you don't see it. But in a year, somebody's going to yank it off and those sins are still there. Uh, I'll give you an example. If you use a credit card, anybody ever use a credit card? I'm not talking about a debit card, but a credit card. You charge something, right? You buy something, purchase something or whatever. It covers you until the payment is required, right? I'll give you another one. When I was a kid, mom would yell, your Uncle Richie's on the way or Uncle Ronnie's on the way when we lived near family up in, up in New England. And, and she'd say, get your rooms clean right now. Well, I had two younger brothers and my sisters, there was four of them in one bedroom. And there's no way you would get everything clean. And so what we would do is we'd shove everything under the bed and the rest of it in a closet and make it look nice and neat. Right? So if you walk in, it looks clean. It looks in order. All you have to do, though, is look under the bed or open the closet door, and then it all comes piling back out again. It's covered for, for the visit, but it's still there. All right? And, and, that's, and, and that's what it was. Yom Kippur was the day that Israel's sins were swept under the bed for another year. So here's the setting for Yom Kippur. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days, and when he came down, we know the story, or most of us know the story, what happened? The golden calf, right? They're marching around, they're worshiping. In fact, we talked about that last week, um, that they literally kissed the golden calf in worship. In Exodus 32 and 30, it says, Moses says, now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. Notice he put it all on them because that's where it belonged. He, he didn't have any part in it. He says, so now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. In other words, I'm going to go plead your case to the Lord. And so we go down to verse 31 and 32, and it says, And then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a god of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin. But he's saying, basically what he's saying here is, Would you forgive their sin? And he stops. And then he says, But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. So that tells me a couple things. One, God has a book, and he keeps good records. The second thing is a statement that Moses made. He said, if you won't forgive these people, take me out of the book and forgive them put it on me i wouldn't do that i love you but there's no way i would do that for you come on now look at your neighbor and go i wouldn't either i know i mean you, you know, i mean really i mean it's not like you know dock my pay for a week or something like that it's it's for all eternity blot my name out of your book of life for these wicked people no way maybe for a righteous person but they weren't righteous they committed a horrible terrible sin by his own words and so the people are wondering if God's going to forgive them or not and and or if he's going to blot them out of the book of life and 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 this is the reason that for 30 days prior to the feast of trumpets on uh, A trumpet is blown every day once for 30 days. And then leading up to the Feast of Trumpets, you have 10 days. And it equals the 40 days that Moses is up on the mountain seeking atonement from God for the people's great sin because they created a golden calf. And and if you go back and read that story, it's an amazing story. And, and, you know, Aaron's like, um, I don't know where it came from. The gold just popped out into the fire, and this calf appeared, you know. Right, he's throwing everybody under the bus. That's what's going on. And so it's 40 days in all, and the re- this is the record of the first feast of Yom Kippur, okay? In fact, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 through 30, Moses comes down off the mountain, and if you remember, he's been in the presence of God, and his face is, is shone, shining with the glory of God, the reflection of the glory of God on him, so much so that they put a veil over Moses' face because they can't stand to, to look at him because of it. And what's interesting is um, they said it was because he spoke with God face to face. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and it's also known by the Jewish people as the day of face-to-face, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies face-to-face with God. Now, it's interesting, there's some um, folklore that, that is tied to this very thing that a lot of Christians have fallen for. Um, how many of you have ever heard um, how when the high priest would go in, they would, put bells on his clothing, and put a rope around him so that if he died, they could drag him out, you know, because they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. Um, It's not true. It's not true. Any good Jew that knows will tell you that's not true. And if you read your Bible, you'll find that it's not true. Because the high priest, before he could go in, would remove his royal garments, his his priestly garments and he put on a simple white linen robe because the white stands for righteousness. And then he would have all these sacrifices of animals. Now I don't know about you, but when I wear a white shirt Yeah. It's not gonna stay white. I remember the first time I went to India for a few weeks, and I found out that they don't have forks and spoons and to feed you with. You eat with your fingers, even gravies and stuff like that, you know, like a sauce pecan on rice. You eat with your fingers. But a minister had to wear a long-sleeve white shirt or a long-sleeve light blue shirt. And I had bought like three shirts for every day because it was hot, even though it was December here. But I found out something. You eat real slow when you're doing like this with food that could drip all over your white shirt. I lost 16 pounds. (laughs) It's the truth. I kept thinking, they're feeding us so much food And and that non bread, man, I was like, oh, man, I could homemade, you know. Oh, I could just eat and eat and eat. And I thought, I'm going to swell up like a balloon. I lost 16 pounds. I had to punch two holes in my belt to hold my pants up while I was gone. I'm I'm serious. And I figured out why. Because I ate so slow with my fingers, I realized when I was full. Whereas when I come home, I get that fork and I'm like... Come on, come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, uh, but imagine now the priest, he's put on a white garment, and now he's offering sacrifices of blood. That garment is now stained with blood, which makes sense because he's going into the very holy of holies. And the Bible says that you and I are able to come before the throne of God because of the, the blood of Jesus Christ has paved a way to the throne. And we don't have to come anxious and we don't have to come worried or are we worthy enough to not know. We're able to come before him because of the blood of Jesus Christ that has been shed for us. It's, it's important to know this too, that the high priest had to be careful that he was not disqualified for this one day a year. Just imagine. It's one day. It's, it's a one-shot thing. I mean, it's, there's no do-overs till next year. You have to do it this day, right? So he had to be careful that he didn't become disqualified. And so as a safeguard, the other priests made the high priest leave his home a week in advance and stay at the dwelling place at the temple. And he also had an assistant. I don't know if you've ever seen a Broadway show or anything like that. They had the star, but they had the understudy in case something happens to the star, right? The same thing here. The high priest would have a, an assistant in case he died or something prevented him from performing that sacred duty on that one day a year. And what was interesting to me is that Israel was dependent upon someone else for the forgiveness of their sins. It took someone else going in to the temple and and doing what God required or their sins would not be forgiven or covered over. On this day, the high priest would make two different atoning sacrifices. He would take a bull and sacrifice it, and that bull and that sacrifice was for him, for his family, the tabernacle, and the tent of meeting. And then he would take a goat, and a goat was sacrificed for the sins of the people. And the most important part of the... Feast of Atonement or the Yom Kippur had to do with the goat and Israel's sins being forgiven. In Leviticus 16, verse 20 through 22, it says, when Aaron, he was the first high priest, when Aaron was finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, that was the bull sacrifice, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion of the Israelites all their sins and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. And the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place. Now here's what what happened. They would bring two goats. They would bring one goat as a sacrifice to the Lord. But then they would bring a second goat is where we get the word scapegoat. Because one was an offering to the Lord. One was for the atonement of the people. And the high priest would take them to the entrance of the tent of meeting and they would cast lots. And if the lot fell for the Lord in the right hand, it was a good sign. If Lot fell against the Lord, if I can put it that way, in the left hand, it was a bad sign. And so to distinguish between the two goats, because, I mean, you bring two goats together, they're probably not standing perfectly at attention, and you wouldn't want to get them confused. One is for the Lord and one is for the sins of the people. They would take a red thread around the horn of the goat And they would also take a red thread and tie it around the the handles of the temple. And the priest would lay his hand on the scapegoat as a symbolic gesture of placing all the sins of Israel upon that goat. And then they would take the scapegoat out into the wilderness and let it go as symbolic carrying away the sins of the people for another year. But get this, every so often that goat would find its way back into the into the town and that would mean that basically he was bringing all of the sins of all of the people back with him so eventually they decided to take the goat outside the city to a cliff and throw it backwards off the cliff to make sure that it never came back again now the talmud which is the oral Jewish law and rabbinical teachings records that even during the times of Christ, the days of Christ, the tying of the red sash on the goat and on the temple doors took place. And history records that Israel knew their sins were forgiven because the red sash on the door, the red thread that was put on the door, would miraculously turn white. And it was fulfilling the scripture in Isaiah 1 and 18, where God says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And the Talmud records four ominous events that took place before the 40 years, during the 40 year period after the death of Christ, leading up to the destruction of the temple, the Jewish temple by the Roman army in 70 A.D. For 40 years, according to the history books, for 40 years, the lot for the Lord's goat came up in the left hand, which was a bad sign. The scarlet thread on the temple door quit turning white for 40 years. The western light, on the temple menorah would not stay lit. And, and I don't have time to teach on that, but if you do some study on the menorah, you'll find that that one fed all the other lights of the menorah in the temple. They would draw oil from it to stay burning, but the one that was the source would dry, would dry up, and they could not keep it lit. And then the temple doors, they would open by themselves, and you have to understand, these doors are not like these doors or like the front door. These were huge doors, very very large, very tall, very thick, and it required several people to open and to close those doors. And all of a sudden, these things stopped happening or started happening, and and. In Jewish history, it's recorded. The priest interpreted Zechariah 1 and 11 where it says, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. And they saw this as a coming sign of coming destruction. And 40 years later, it happened when the Romans came and burned the temple to the ground. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus records other ominous signs the year the temple was destroyed. Another aspect of Yom Kippur is that it's on this day after seven sets of seven years of 49 years that the year of Jubilee is also declared. You've heard that before. Leviticus 25, verse 9 and 10, look what it says, "'And then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee "'to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, "'on the day of atonement. "'You shall make the trumpet to sound "'throughout all your land, "'and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year "'and proclaim liberty throughout all the land "'to its inhabitants. "'It shall be a jubilee for you, "'and each of you shall return to his possession, "'and each of you shall return to his family.'" The Jubilee requires two things. That on the 50th year, all debts between Jews were wiped out. How many of you could be a a reason to shout and dance to have all your debts today completely wiped out? Not only that, any Jew that was sold into slavery to pay a debt was to be released, whether they had worked the amount of time that was required of them to repay the debt. Isaiah wrote about this in Isaiah 61, but Jesus also spoke about it in Luke chapter 4. Remember when he came to his hometown? It says, so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Why? Because that was the reading of the day. They didn't just haphazardly open their book, not open the scroll and pick a... This is That was the reading for that day, for that Sabbath. And he says, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the lord he's quoting the very scripture in isaiah that that he's talking about for the year of jubilee and then Jesus quit reading the rest of Isaiah because the, the rest of it is to be fulfilled when he comes back to earth to redeem the Jews from during this tribulation period and pass judgment upon the nations that did harm to the Jews. But then he looked what he says here in verse 20 and 21. Then he closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of everybody there were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus had been in the wilderness. How many days was he in the wilderness? Forty days. Moses returned to the people for the first Feast of Yom Kippur, the first Feast of Atonement, after how many days? Forty days. Jesus reads this scripture on Yom Kippur. And he says he closed the book. He closed the book. And if you remember, we talked about on the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah is known as the day of the opening of books. The day of atonement is known as the day of closing the books. And Jesus read this passage saying, I have been anointed to fulfill that which was supposed to be done on the day of atonement on Yom Kippur. Jesus begins his ministry on the day of atonement. That is not by accident, my friends. That is a God moment. And what did the people try and do? Remember, what did the high priest do? He laid his hands on the goat, cast all the sin on the goat, and they take him out of the city and throw him off a cliff. Jesus says, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, and what happens? What happens? It says, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. You'd think they'd be dancing, right? Jubilee! Instead it says, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of a hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down the cliff. Coincidence? Coincidence? No. In fact, in Isaiah 53 and 6, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here's the the application. And I'll close real quick. The Day of Atonement was not about law. It was about grace. Many people think of the Old Testament as law and the New Testament as grace. But the day of atonement was all about grace because God forgave the people and essentially gave them a new beginning every year. When they couldn't measure up, no one could pay the price. No one could, could do what God required. And yet God gave them Forgiveness for another year. He forgave their sins for another year. The other thing is that Passover is the first month of the year, and that is dealing with personal redemption. But Yom Kippur is in the seventh month of the year, and it deals with national redemption. When Christ came into my life, when he came into your life, that was personal redemption. God redeemed you out of the pit of hell. His price, his blood redeemed you, bought you. That's what redeemed means. It means to purchase. It redeemed you and made you a child of God. Put the family of God's name on you. You were adopted into his family. That's personal redemption. The blood of Christ on my life was personal. I remember it to this day. February 28, 1970, 2 o'clock in the morning in the front passenger side of a 1968 Colony Park station wagon, green with wood paneling in Merced, California. That's where I was when the blood of Jesus was applied to my life. Did I know that? No. No. I didn't know that. I didn't know John 3, 6, or 16. But I met Jesus right there. And he's never left me. Never left me. That was personal redemption. But Yom Kippur is about national redemption of the Jews. And it gives us understanding to the great tribulation that we find in the book of Revelation because it is mentioned there that God is drawing Israel back to him. It's interesting to me that in Yom Kippur it mentions high priest, it mentions family, it mentions tabernacle, but it mentions nothing about Gentiles. It mentions nothing about those who are not Jews. But it talks about a cleansing. In Jeremiah 2 and 22 it says, For though you wash yourself with niter and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. Now, you may read that and skip right past it because it doesn't mean anything. But let's break it down. He says, to wash is the Hebrew word which means to trample, means to work hard, like stomping out something. He says, though you wash yourself, you endeavor to, to cleanse yourself. He says, and you wash with niter. That's lye or acid. Okay, and he says, and he uses the word soap. We think of soap as something soft and conditioning. No, this this soap was alkali. It was caustic, okay? And then he says, and even though he says you are marked, the word marked means engraved. So what he's saying here, he says, you can cleanse yourself with acid and alkali and try and erase your sin, but it won't erase your sin. The only thing that will erase your sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says there's no forgiveness of sin, there's no remission, no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And so Jesus Christ has become our Passover lamb for our personal redemption. And he offers more. Oh, I, I think preachers do the gospel a harm when all they talk about is meet Jesus and go to heaven. You get to go to heaven when you die. But how do I, what happens now? What happens between now and when I go to heaven? What happens now? Oh, there's much more than just waiting till I die or waiting for the rapture to come. Now, Jesus, he, he doesn't sweep my sins into the closet. He doesn't put them under the bed. Psalms 103 and two says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Micah 7 and 19, or, says this, cast all your sins into the depth of the sea. My friends, he doesn't bring them back to us again. I know when I was a young Christian, I'd remember things that I had done previously that I had asked God to forgive me. And suddenly I thought I was under conviction again. I found out the difference between conviction and condemnation. And that was condemnation. It was the devil bringing up my past. And what a joy it was to find the scripture that says, He's, he's cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. Because I can go east and I'll never get to the west. I'm just gonna constantly going to constantly go east or go west. And I'm going without stopping, I'm going west. Notice it didn't say north and south because I can get to the North Pole. I can get to the South Pole, but there ain't no West Pole or East Pole. What a joy to know my sins are forgiven. Not only that, Jesus became the scapegoat for everyone who believes in him. We read it earlier, Isaiah 53 and 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned from our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sins of us all. Which brings me to the last point and that is this. God reveals his desire to live with us through this incredible feast called Yom Kippur. The reason for the blood, the reason for the sacrifices, the reason for the scapegoat, the reason for it all was so that the thing that separates us from God, what does the Bible say? Your sins separate you from God. Our sins separate us from God. So what did he do? He came to be the scapegoat to remove those sins once and for all that we might be restored in relationship to God. God told Moses that the people were forgiven. He comes down and he says, atonement has been made and God has forgiven you of your sins. And then five days later, they begin to build a tabernacle. And that's next week's teaching, the Feast of Tabernacles. Why would God want a tabernacle? He just forgave these people. Now he's showing his heart that his desire is not to be a God that's far removed, living on a mountain somewhere, but a God who desires to dwell with his people to live among them that's his heart that's his desire and so five days later they begin to build a tabernacle according to the layout that god gives to moses and the key is that god has redeemed them and now he wants to dwell with them and this is prophetic in three ways real quick It shows us the picture of what happens when Christ redeems us and comes to live with us. Listen, I've heard preachers say it thousands of times. Jesus died for your sins. I want to... I want to... He died for you. because It gives us the idea that, okay, Jesus, here's all my sins. I put them in a five-gallon bucket. I'm leaving them at the altar. Now I can go live however I want to live. Mm-mm. He didn't die for that. He died for this. He died for you. That was the price that he had to pay for you. That we might have a relationship with him he paid the price that i could not pay that you could not pay not so he can just take my sins and i can go do my thing but that i can have a relationship with him it also is prophetic in that it speaks of christ's second coming because when he comes back he's going to redeem israel and set up A literal kingdom here on earth so whereas they set up a tabernacle in the wilderness God's Jesus is coming back and he's setting up a temple that will be in this thousand-year period of time but he's going to be living here on earth literally physically here on earth he's coming back and it also refers to the new heaven and the new earth that will come at the very end when everything is finalized When Satan is judged, when the new heavens and the new earth are established, and the tabernacle of God in heaven comes down to earth. Jesus became our Passover lamb for our personal redemption. He became our scapegoat for anyone who would believe on him, that their sins can be forgiven. God laid our sins on him. God allowed his son to be killed. But God raised him up again, and God sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us to let us know that we are part of his family. We are the children of God. And the Feast of Atonement simply confirms to us the permanent forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. But friends, you don't have to come to Christ day after day after day after day to be saved listen when you sin your spirit should be grieved and you should ask god to forgive but i have not lost my salvation because i have sinned because i have one that i can go to and confess my sins and repent of my sins and the bible says that he will purge he will cleanse me of my sin look he's not a get out of jail free card He's the Lord, Savior, God of all. And those who will accept him will be forgiven permanently. All their sins are gone. As far as the East is from the West. The Feast of Tabernacles confirms that God still desires to dwell with his people. Old Testament, yeah. New Testament yes found in Jesus the God of heaven wants to dwell with us I said the God of heaven wants to dwell with us Father we are so grateful that before time was you were. And you created us in your image and likeness, knowing that with our free will that we would sin against you. And yet, Lord God, you th- you had the plan from, from the foundation of time to redeem your people. God, I just pray that when we look at the calendar in the Bible your calendar we see it fulfilled in christ and realize that if you went to that much trouble to reveal what you were going to do and the reason you were doing it and that is now found fulfilled in your son god that's that's like to another level of love for each and every one of us we're so grateful we're so grateful that you sought us out can we stand together if you're able to stand would you stand together right now and I'd like us just to take a moment and just take a moment and contemplate How great is our God that He would give us a picture and then give us the fulfillment of that picture in His Son, Jesus. And thank Him for that. If you're here today and you've not received Christ, you've not surrendered your life to Christ, I'm telling you, he's got things planned for you that are so awesome and so great that you can't even begin to fathom, can't even begin to understand. All he wants you to do is to surrender your life to him. You say, but I wanna be in control. Well, you can be in control, but you can't follow Christ if you're in control. Because he says, follow me. God's not following you. You have to follow Him. And all you have to do is receive Him right now. Receive Him right now. Father, I thank you for the blood of Christ, the Passover lamb. I thank you that you desire to dwell with us, so much so that you gave the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost to dwell within us as a witness of the things that are written in your word. We know that you are preparing a place for us. We know a trumpet will sound. We know that when it does, we will be with you. And we know because our sins are forgiven by the atonement and blood of Christ on the cross. We thank you for praise you for it. It's sure. It's secure. It is finished. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, I want to invite you to come and let me pray with you or let some of us come and pray with you. Otherwise, have an incredible week. Come back on Wednesday nights. We have We're excited about what God's doing on Wednesday nights. Amen.